Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean, the weekend edition. First with yesterday's news, I and Glenn ZB were looking back at Sunday and Saturday. It's the weekend. Um, the Black Caps, a bit of a struggle in India. Uh, we'll uh, talk to somebody who's struggled in India himself. Uh, Jane Winyard uh, lived the high life in London before she just started taking photos in Kenya. And Benny is back. But before any of that, uh, the yeah, the national leadership situation of last week, uh, the real question is, who's going to ask the hard questions of the government if national can't? The hit on Simon Bridges had the appearance of someone using Me Too and the attention on workplace bullying for profoundly cynical and self-serving reasons. This behaviour won't fly. And number five, my fifth silver lining in the national leadership spill is this even if the government doesn't appear particularly vulnerable right now COVID-19 makes for an environment where political fortunes can change very quickly yesterday Sir Brian Roach released his latest report and it laid out stark shortcomings in New Zealand's preparations for the Delta variant. I've been saying this for months. It's clear the government didn't properly prepare for a situation where lockdowns weren't enough to control the virus. Over the next two years, there will be many more opportunities for a good opposition to land a few blows. And hey, we don't even know if Jacinda Ardern is actually going to run for a third term. In a world with COVID-19, the only certainty is uncertainty. News Talk ZB. And uncertainty makes for political opportunity. Uh, yeah, so a lot of questions remaining unanswered, uh, not least of which is how come TVNZ went to a commercial break when Simon Bridges was going in to leave the coup the other morning? Uh, meanwhile, we had it live here, of course. I'm sure that's what they'll be talking to Jessica Match Mackay about. So Shane Retty, amusingly, when asked by Heather Duplessis-Allen uh, what was the shortlist, and he said, well, there are 33 candidates, Heather. I think we can narrow it down, can't we? And, and how many would you narrow it down to? Yeah, I think we can cross a couple of names off that list of 33. But, you know, he was probably being quite charitable. I think the names that are in the mix, and this is the leader and the deputy, are... Um, Shane Vretti, uh, Simon Bridges, Christopher Luxon, Nicola Willis, Christopher Bishop and Mark Mitchell. So those are the names that are percolating at the moment. Um, Erica Stanford uh, would be a potential deputy for Luxon um, yep. and some, some people are pushing as well. So those are kind of the names that are percolating around. The thing is, is some, you've got to get that mix right between they like having male and female, they like having mm. uh, urban and rural, and they like having liberal and conservative. But you've got to make sure you get it right. But you'd think at the moment the two people who are sort of edging out in front are Luxon if he decides to officially out there go for it, or yep. if it's just behind the scenes and bridges. So those are the two two that we're sort of they're, they're tossing around at the moment. Because Bridges, over the past, you know, a little while, uh, the past year or so, with his book and everything, he's sort of loosened up his image in public. But the fact is he still polls terribly low. Can National win an election with Bridges at the helm? He has to dramatically change the way that he does things because you're absolutely right. He polls terribly, and that's what prompted uh, the Todd Muller change and then that led to Judith Collins. So I, I think we can't forget that. I also think there's a couple of other elements with Simon Bridges. A, um, there's sort of that back to the future feeling, that recycled leader 
kind of thing. And is he, you know, the sort of next reset bright future of the National Party? Or would he just be someone who was in there as a holding in a holding passion until Christopher Luxon was ready? Imagine if they um, come back and go, ah, look, we just decided to flag it. It's too hard. Uh, fill your boots, David Seymour. See you later. No? Not going to happen? Okay. Uh, uh, so, yeah, black caps. It's hard playing cricket in India, isn't it? Uh, Ken Rutherford knows. He's done it. The last time a New Zealand side won a test in India was 33 years ago. Almost, in fact, 33 years to the day. Uh, it was uh, back in 1988. Pretty low scoring affair. New Zealand, 236 and 279. India, 234 and 145 all out. Richard Hadley, 10 wickets in the match. John Bracewell, 6 for 51 in the fourth innings to go with 52 and 32 with the bat, batting at 9 and 10. Ken Rutherford was part of that New Zealand side. One of 56 test matches he played for New Zealand. He joins us. How are you, Ken? Yeah, it'll be no surprise to your listeners, uh, Jason, that I didn't score many runs in that game. So, uh, uh, But the celebrations were pretty good. i tell you what, I think I think Mumbai was still called Bombay in those days. And uh, I'll tell you what, we, we ripped Bombay, Bombay to shreds that night. It was great. But... Uh, no, we don't win over there very often, do we? Uh, no, we don't. And I'll tell you what, one of the great innings by New Zealand Test batsmen was played in the third innings of that game. Andrew Jones, I think, got 90-odd. Um, and he put on a number of runs with Danny Morrison, I think, in a partnership. I think that was probably one of the key moments in the game, really, the fact that Jones got those runs. And I'm pretty sure it was a partnership with Danny, but I might be wrong there. It is a few Heinekens ago, after all, but... Um, uh, terrific win and Bracewell bowled extremely well. Hadley bowled well. It was hot. It was humid. It was a pitch that spun and bounced throughout the course of the game. There was a big, big crowd in for the five days and uh, no, good memories. Did, did he just do a, a massive plug for Heineken there? Is he hoping to be sent some Heinekens? Or is saying that Heineken causes you to lose your memory not good advertising for Heineken? I can't quite decide what's going on there with the Heinekens. Um, anyway, so that's um, uh, Kim Rutherford talking about being in India. Uh, here is uh, Jane uh, Winyard talking about being in Kenya. This is after living the high life in London, throwing it all away. There's an amazing contrast. You know, you went from working with the big fish of London, be they, you know, movie stars, fashionistas, powerful people in the PR world, to working with the big mammals and beasts of the of the African plains. I mean, it is an amazing yeah. contrast. And and um, was there a point in when you you know because when you moved to Africa, you thought initially, I'm just going to try this out for a few months, see how it goes, see how I'm enjoying myself. What was the point that you thought, you know what, actually, I'm not going back to London. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here, and this this is my mission for the time being. As soon as I arrived in Kenya, I just thought, wow, this place is incredible. Yeah. And I really, really wanted to stay here and I really wanted to to work in conservation and also to pass on my skills to other people working here as well, work with the Kenyans. I mean, the Kenyan people are just incredible. Um, it reminds me a lot of New Zealand, actually, Kenya. I think that's probably when I suddenly thought, yeah, I want to I wanna stay how, here. Really? Because, Sorry, how? Yeah. Yeah. Not so much the landscape, but the people. Like, the people are so friendly. You know, you walk down the street, everyone's saying, hello, Jumbo, habariako. Um, and everyone's really open and, and there's a real can-do attitude here as well, mm. you know, like, like mm. New Zealand. You, you, we can do everything. Um, and also it's it's kind of it's wild like New Zealand. There's a real 
there's a real amazing energy here. As soon as you get off the plane, you feel it and you're just like, wow, this yeah. place is incredible. Or, so, or- and there's a real sense of community, which I didn't have in London and I definitely had in New Zealand. Um, again, so that also, you know, it reminds me a lot of New Zealand when I'm here, which is, yeah, it sounds crazy, but it does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I had a dollar for everybody who um, tells me how much Kenya is like New Zealand, um, I'd actually have no money. I've never heard that before, ever. Uh, interesting take. Um, hey, what's Benny been up to? A good way to find out is probably ask her, I suppose. A world tour. It just it just sounds sort of crazy at the moment, doesn't it? I know, it does. It sounds weird, but exciting. It's really exciting. How good is it, though, to be able to start this world tour in New Zealand? Like the best. I feel like... I mean, I have I've had to reschedule, obviously, since my last um, tour. So it feels nice to be starting in my hometown, um, and it's going to be New Zealand summer, which you can't beat, in my opinion. But um, no, I'm stoked. I've seen you live, and you just give all to your shows. But is it quite nice before you sort of launch on a world tour? Is it quite nice just to play New Zealand, just to ease into yeah. it a little? There's definitely like a comfort thing because you look into the crowd and you like to see your second cousins or something. So <laughs> that's always <laughs> that's always a nice a nice part of playing at home. But um, I don't know. I also yeah. I mean, I just love New Zealand and it's nice kind of knowing that everyone is, you know, there to kind of I don't know. Everyone it kind of feels more like a family when you when you perform here. It's like you know everyone's very supportive and, and sweet. Yeah, oh, it's good to hear. How keen are you to yeah. get back on stage? You don't even understand. It's been like a year and a half's worth of wanting to go on like a a big tour and now finally being able to do it. It just feels insane. Does it make you feel a bit nervous? It does make me a bit nervous. I am. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, I'm also like starting to do really big, long walks because I'm like, a gal has to be fit to do all these shows. Like I've got to get fit, you know, enough of this lockdown chilling. It's time to get on the grind. How's the walking going? <laughs> it's good. I've got my dog, Tui, who I've been going on big long walks with. Um, I've actually got my cat here who's jingling its bell. I'm sorry if that's interrupting. That's all right. All, but... <laughs> so, so, so when you launch off on a world tour, what happens to Tui? Um, well, <laughs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> I fall to pieces and um, my godmother's looking after her for me when I go away. Oh. because. I'm, going to take the whole whānau with me. Oh, time. wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Jeez, uh, it's amazing, isn't it, when you hear uh, artists talk about touring and booking shows and things like this. I I, I, I still haven't even booked a restaurant when the restaurants reopen. I just, I am so gun-shy about making plans. I may never make another plan ever again. Uh, I mean, don't worry. I am planning to come back and do another one of these podcasts tomorrow. So don't panic. I'm Glenn ZB. I'll see you there.